0: Oh, this is your white beard Santa, Gil Manser. Welcome you to the our 2018 holiday gift books edition of Word by Word Conversations with Writers on Northern California Public Media, KRCB FM. In what has become a word by word tradition, we are once again pleased to welcome the book buyers from the local Copperfields Bookstores, Cheryl Coteleur and Michelle Bella, with their carefully considered suggestions for gift books. Book buyers play a critical role in a bookstore because they are the ones who decide what books will be carried on the shelves. As you can imagine, there is fierce competition between publishers for shelf space, and Michelle and Bella read hundreds of books each year in their specific areas of interest. Cheryl was fiction judge for the 2014 National Book Awards and is the adult books buyer for Copperfields, while Bella selects the children's books, cookbooks, and art and craft books. So, welcome once again. This is our eighth time together. Hi Gil. How are you?
1: Yeah, hi Great. Gil.
0: We've had a nice conversation before we went on air about all the intricacies and ins and outs of the, the book business and the size of books and the cost of books and the, the weight of books. One of the books we're talking about today weighs 13 and a half pounds, is that right? Yes, Yes, true. And how much does
1: it run? It costs $125. But worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely
0: worth it. Do you want to talk about that one first? Sure. Sure. Okay. Just to save her back, uh, Cheryl did not haul that one in, and so we're looking at it on the computer screen.
1: It's called Jimmy Nelson. You've got the sheet Jimmy. On it over I do there.
0: there, right? Jimmy Nelson, homage to humanity.
1: And this is—it's a photographer that he has gone around the world uh, documenting the ethno diversity that he's found in these uh, cultures all over. Very diverse. Mm-hmm. Say,
2: I think that. Um, well, what we love about the book is the photogra- The photographs are gorgeously done. They're in each culture's home turf, but they are um, shot with, I don't know, we wondered about whether there was a fashion photographer background to Jimmy Nelson because the quality and the arrangement of the way the people are grouped together and the adornment of clothing and makeup of the um, these cultures is just so stunning that that alone is art worthy. Mm-hmm. What I particularly love though is these little vignettes about the cultures that he's documented all over the world. Um, it it the, talks the, about
1: the culture and the different types of um, like prayer flags in Bhutan and what mm-hmm. the significance of them are, and the fact that you can't, in, in Bhutan, you're not allowed to climb the mountains. It's illegal because those are sacred objects. Right. Me, which right. I guess I didn't know. Not
0: Sonoma is a sacred object, right here.
1: And, but you're allowed to climb it. Well,
0: n- not really. No. 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 But ah. people do.
1: Yeah. Um, I didn't know that either.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a sacred spot.
1: One of the things that. We had Greg Saras on talking about book. his. He's probably yeah, written a book about it. He was writing yeah. about it in
0: his, uh, in his uh, collection of stories of you know, ancient local myths. Uh, yeah, it's fun. I
1: haven't
0: read that. Yo, it's fun to do that. The new, you the have Jimmy Nelson. Else to do. <laughs> Jimmy yeah, the back to Jimmy Nelson. Book. Yes,
1: um, the Jimmy Nelson. really is about adornment and the human cultures, and it's a beautiful book. It completely needs to be seen to be believed. Right. It we measured
2: it sixteen inches by twelve inches, three inches high. It's slipcased. Three inches thick. You mean three inches thick? Wow. And um, it, every every time you turn a page you spend 10 minutes on that mm. it's
1: really 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 and incredible it's got the pages are very just just the images so you really are immersed in the images and then the back then in on in the all like the last i don't know 100 pages or something it's got every single image reproduced in a very in a thumbnail mm-hmm. with where it is and who it right, is and what's right. going on so it's convenient it, yeah. Well, nice. Yes, to be able to find out information. But you
0: about. almost need a uh, an easel to display this.
1: Well, coffee tables, tables work well. I think. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: People put their coffee thing. cups on and leave uh, rings. You, you
1: know, know. <laughs> books aren't that precious. Oh. You can stand it. It can. Yeah. Well. You just turn them over.
0: Anyway, let's scroll through a few things you wanted to show me. Some from Bhutan and Mexico.
1: Well, I find the Mexican ones really interesting because it's close to us here, and it, the, the landscape is familiar, and I never see ethnic
0: well you have three men dressed in garb which i would have seen i would have thought as an african looking you know the way the they're wearing the loincloths oh, made oh. of uh, animal fur well, look at the and, cactus and the cactus behind them a Choya cactus and a, and a prickly pear and so you know it's got to be in you know the central or south america or maybe part of los angeles but it's it's almost could be anywhere that it's dry. It's and obvious, hot. yes, and yeah. it's
1: obviously you know, a, a look from history. I mean, it's, right. it's very old. This is not something that they've just come up with to as a.
0: No, it doesn't look decor, like the combination you know. of the you know the, uh, yeah. the blankets that were made by uh, Pendleton with them and stuff.
2: <laughs> no, you know what I no, mean. I mean yeah, that
0: can be, be old, but still not you know. ancient. This the is other ancient. thing
2: you should know about this book is it's a very small print run. It's a very unusual and rare the quantity of this book available in the world now that it's just been published Uh is very small so we encourage people to come into any one of our nine stores and see this book we've put them in each store so that you can actually walk up and touch it and look at it it's exquisite
1: right yeah Yeah, it is and we, we have a whole actually people coming into the store to discover art and it photography is a wonderful thing cuz there really are a lot of books and if it's in plastic we can open them up. Oh. Because the, Say that again. If if it's got plastic sometimes we leave the plastic on yes. so it doesn't get beat up until yes. somebody who wants to look it at it. Right. Right. But they shelf-worn. Right. But but that's something we, to- we completely do. I'm I'm showing Gill the new Ruth Asawa. Book. Is that
0: the Ruth Asawa who designed things in Santa Rosa? The, the fountain?
1: Uh, actually, so I
0: know she the one she San, did in San, in San Francisco. Yeah. Francisco. San Francisco. So, I mean, we're I all think very one up here too. too. There yeah. could be.
1: Yeah. She her stuff is um, in all the museums there in right. San Francisco and the De Young, and it's a beautiful survey of her life and her work. Right. And it's it's remarkable. There haven't been that many books about her. We're seeing more and more on female artists, mm-hmm. I believe, on purpose. But she's amazing. <laughs> we're at that time. We yeah. are at that time uh, and place. And this uh, is a really special recognition.
0: Book too. Yes. And her portrait on the front is beautiful with her. her yes. Yeah. The pictures of her, her hanging baskets basket of her tree or, or whatever her they call it. Yes.
1: Yeah. Anyway, it's a, yet another really pretty gift book that we've got this
0: year. I want to go back one. You mentioned okay. something in passing, our nine bookstores. So tell us about the new one.
2: We have a new store in um, the geographic area in Marin County called Larkspur Landing. The actual location is Marin Country Mart and we opened the day after Thanksgiving. So the store has just been open a couple of weeks. It's gorgeous. It was beautifully designed by the landlord of the Marin Country Mart to look like a private library. Mm. Beautiful, knotty pine wood. Um, we're very excited. We've uh, we've got exciting staff and eager young people, well, young and old, <laughs> both. Um, It's really cool. So, Bell and I have increased the number of stores we buy for. It's not that different. It is and it isn't. But we have... now nine stores that we populate with the adult and the children's books. Someone we... ask
0: a, a really crass question: so would you put the one hundred twenty-five dollar book for sure in the Marin County mm-hmm. stores?
2: Actually, that store I think has three copies, but we want to tell <laughs> yeah. your customers to go get them. I'm not joking when I say this is a limited print run, and, and you've it got will a be dozen
1: gone. or so, and that's it. But we put them in all the stores. Yeah, yeah. we feel we strongly Good. about it. Yeah. yeah,
2: and we can do that when we really love something. We have the. Kind of job and the kind of purview and the kind of enthusiasm and that kind we can, of clout. Yeah, yeah, that we can actually say this one we're going to put out right. in our stores right. and encourage people to take a look.
0: So we're encouraging all our listeners to go to any of the copper fields near you, or even far if you have to drive. So what? Yes, and uh, take advantage of, of what's on display this for the holiday season. Yes, and you'll absolutely. see more of the books we mentioned as we go on. Yes. What do you want to talk about next?
2: Well, um, I. There's a couple of different books, but I love just fooling around with an idea. And the idea that popped into my head when you were talking about women, artists, and you're right. seeing more of that,
1: mm-hmm.
2: what popped into my head next is a book called The Future is Female. And this is a book, the subtitle is 25 Classic Science Fiction Stories by Women. Mm-hmm from pulp pioneers to Ursula Le Guin.
0: Of course, a lot of the original women would write with initials, so the male readers didn't know who they were.
2: Yeah, so this these um, classic stories have covered many decades. 25 mind-blowing classics that still shock and inspire. Explorations of Alien Otherness, Dystopian Fables of Consumerism Run amok. In Marion Zimmer Bradley's speculation fiction of how future military men will feel about their pregnancies, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) so I just we love it. I remember that it's a beautiful package, and um, Library America is the publisher. And so, jumping from women showing up finally in more yeah, the cover shows a
0: woman in looks like flip-flops and high boots, (laughs) and and a white jumpsuit with a transparent. Bubble space helmet.
2: Mind you, that's an idea of a space traveler from like the nineteen forties. Forties, fifties. I would yes, say, yeah. Yes. So that's one of our holiday picks. Um, or Barbarella.
1: Yeah. Well, not I didn't quite. want to say that oh, though, okay. because she's. Well, not... she
0: had the same helmet. I
1: believe but she it. took off. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I didn't All want right. to go there. That. That's true.
2: But um, let's
0: see. Well, it's interesting. The women writer. I mean, having read many, many, much science fiction when I was mm-hmm. growing up. The female writers, they were obvious that they were, but they didn't want the readers to know. Yeah. Because it was a different perspective on things. Not right. just, you know, the males being pregnant, but um, but just different. For especially when you were in 7th and 8th grade like I was.
2: Right. Well, oh. mm-hmm. That has been uh, somewhat traditional in mysteries as well. Yes. Yeah, that there's a lot of well. mystery writers over the years that have gone by initials and in right. their last name. So as to not be identified, therefore their books get equal weight on the shelf. And... Wasn't
0: Shakespeare a woman?
2: Yeah. Well, there we go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Done Oops. talking. <laughs> okay. So. Your turn for. Uh, a but, a book. Well, speaking about women, this yes. is one of my favorite illustrators. I think this is my favorite book, actually, that I bought. I brought here today by Rachel Ignat, Ignat- here, What do you think about how to pronounce that name? Oh. it's a very complicated name, but yes. she's a wonderful combination of illustrator and and scientist. So she has developed a book called The Wondrous Workings of Planet Earth, Understanding Our World and Its Ecosystems, Mm. and every page is fantastically illustrative. So it starts out with what you would expect, going from the biosphere all the way through the populations down to the individual And all the way you can categorize different plants. It starts at what is an ecosystem and the flow of energies and how things interact and how they're classified. It talks about what makes a healthy ecosystem. Then it goes in in succession. It goes into microsystems. So then it's talking about a rotting log and a pond. So it's smaller. Like,
0: I know they're drawings and, and illustrations, but they look like fabric pieces, the way they, they're put together. They're,
1: the, this particular style is so easy to see yeah. and read. It, it really helps explain what the material is. And after the microsystem, it goes to the microscopic eco, ah. ecosystem. So a drop of water and in the soil. what What's going on on a microscopic level? Underneath our feet level. in the backyard. So they, And then she goes into... All all the different continents and what's different in all the different continents so you've got like 200 pages of that mm. but one of the the things i like best about this book is she's got the cycles which she calls this these series of cycles the water cycle everyone knows about right. the water cycle right that one's fairly clear but my <laughs> Except favorite for is some
0: people who the, should know <laughs>
1: yeah. won't go there the phosphorus cycle it's like i don't think of the phosphorus cycle as being a thing unless you I'm, have a tool or a hot tub, maybe Then, you've then you would, it. Yep. but it mm-hmm. talks all about that in a very visual way. It talks about the nitrogen cycle, mm-hmm. it talks about, and then there's one other take the, a deep, yeah, breath. The carbon take a deep cycle. breath. No, I'm going to talk as fast no, as no, I No, no,
0: just what, what did you just take in? My oxygen. No, oh, no, mostly what did you just take in?
1: Carbon, no carbon I mean, dioxide. The word you just mentioned, phosphorus, nitrogen. phosphorus?
0: Nitrogen. Nitrogen. nitrogen,
1: nitrogen. Well, we can name each one and then we can figure out which one you're talking about. Nitrogen, yeah.
0: More than oxygen? Huh?
1: Hmm. Didn't know that. Because it's an inert gas. Obviously, the, uh, have not okay. read the whole book yet, or absorbed no, it so completely. No, we'll, so we'll get into that. But I'm very excited. They could have made a whole book just about these cycles. Really, just use. This. It
0: is. It is interestingly enough, and these cycles were really big in the '50s for school children. That that's what we were taught. Because well, in that the
1: was, '60s, they just left it out of the they curriculum. They left it
0: out. That's right. I mean, my gosh, the idea that you know water goes in, up and down and changes. Water turns into ice? What
1: well, a and concept. the whole watershed yes. thing is oh, big here, yes. but maybe not for everybody. Anyway, this is a great book. There's there's ten books it worth does. of information. Every one, in one of it.
0: those two pages, and they're facing pages, is worth spending some time with. It is. So oh, name the book is. again.
1: It's called The Wondrous Workings of Planet Earth.
0: Wondrous Working of... That one's one, uh, going to be on display, too, I guess, when absolutely. you go to the absolutely Multiple okay. copies. Perfect. Back again.
2: So um, I do want to make sure I mention Richard Powers' magnificent novel, Overstory. Um, the, the way that the New York Times, when they reviewed this book, the headline was, the heroes of this novel are centuries old and 300 feet tall. This is an epic, gorgeously written novel about trees but actually with seven, I think, seven to nine people who interact with these trees. And by the way, much of it ends up in the California redwoods.
0: Because that's the ones that are that tall. Yes. Yes.
2: And um, when uh, Barbara Kingsolver wrote the review of this, she says, we remember we're in the hands of Richard Powers, winner of a genius grant, a storyteller of such grand scope that Margaret Atwood was moved to ask If Powers were an American writer of the 19th century, which writer would he be? He'd probably be the Herman Melville of Moby Dick. This book is magnificent. It is so moving. And, you know, an underlying theme, and I don't think this gives anything away at all to say, the underlying theme of this book is climate change, and it's never once mentioned. It really is talking about, like, there's a the core element of a logging company that is going bankrupt that wants to sell off all of its assets, including the absolute last standing redwood trees, the ancient redwoods. So the combination of consumerism and capitalism and greed and climate change is such that that's the backstory behind the life and presence of these trees and It's so moving. You will just morning, noon, and night just sit with this book until you're done. It's just one of the best ever. I think it is going to be a classic. And by the way, Richard Powers, besides having been a genius grant winner, won the National Book Award a few years ago for Echo Maker. Mm -hmm. Um, This book was long listed for the Man Booker Prize. I insist every time I talk to somebody that I love who has not read it, I beg them to give a look to that book.
0: Good. Name the title again.
2: Overstory. Overstory. By Richard Powers.
0: Very good. Thank you.
2: And then um, I have another novel that Belle and I both love. Virgil Wander is the title of the novel. Leif Anger is the author. And some of our listeners will remember him for having written this novel 10 years ago now called Peace Like a River. That was very well loved. Uh, Virgil Wander is set in a economically depressed tiny town in Minnesota. And our character, Virgil, is right in the beginning of the book, is in an accident. So he's recovering from a concussion. He owns a small theater in town. And he's, there's like six people that come at night to see a movie. And this odd, unusual older man shows up by the name of Rune, R-O-O-N-E, a Danish man. And what you come to understand is he's in town because he has discovered that he has a son he never knew he had, who is missing, an adult son. And he wishes to find out about what this boy was like. His particular talent is that he flies kites, handmade kites that he makes. He flies them over Lake Superior, and they have moving parts. And he invites these shy local townspeople when they come over to watch him to actually take the strings of the kite and fly them themselves. And you discover, as if when you have your chance to do that, that some kind of self-assurance and some kind of strong sense of of. Positivity comes to
1: you Almost when you a self-awareness yeah. too, and, and, and flowering of your own understanding of why you do what you do.
2: Yeah,
1: it's very moving. And, very, and, and very. I think that actually it's not even just a concussion. I think that he actually has a brain injury, ah. and it causes him to do things differently and question things that he never questioned before. I, this this one I've actually read, and it was great.
2: And uh, there is an element of a betrayal among one of the townspeople. And so there is an element of sort of suspense and some danger. It's not all roses and so forth. There's loss and grief. But the way the people start relating to each other and um, working with each other is marvelous. So it's that kind of novel that's quirky but deep.
1: Yes, that's a good way to put it. And John.
2: Following
0: up on the yeah. idea of working with other each other and relating to each other, I wish that we were on T V and I was recording the way both of you were talking about this book because you just got out of yourselves. <laughs> yes. I uh, you can't it's something obviously that has affected each of you. Yes. I think you more so. Because you were talking with your hands and your body and your ears were getting up and your hair was involved (laughs) and you were straightening your eyeglasses. Every single motion you could do was coming out of that. You were floating off the chair. It was wonderful.
2: What our um, listeners may not know that it's kind of funny is when I talk about books, I always bring them with me. So we... I had to have help carrying the bag in because it weighed 45 pounds right. because I have to hold it and wave it around when I'm talking about it. So it's kind of a funny <laughs> thing talisman.
1: Come on. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right.
0: All right. Well, whose turn?
1: How about we talk about the one cookbook I brought? One cookbook. One cookbook. It's 20%
0: cookbook. off. It says on the cover. Well, it Too is
1: well. one of our best sellers. So we oh. do have things on sale. And this is called Ottolenghi Simple. And Otto
0: A O T T O L E N G H I Simple.
1: Yes, and this—that's his last name. That's his last name. Yo-Yotam, I, I guess. Is yeah. his but first you kind of
0: know that if you go in looking for Otto and you can't
1: find him. <laughs> He's written many books, and they've been really complicated, really popular. Like Jerusalem, a few years ago. Oh yeah, I remember Very that. Very popular yeah. and really great, but a little complicated, just just a touch. So this one, the key to this one is it's supposed to be simple. But so, what those initials stand for is the S is short on time, the I is 10 ingredients or less, the M is make ahead, the P is pantry. Make ahead. And the pantry is interesting because he does use things like za'atar and. and um, Which
0: we usually don't have in we, our pantry.
1: Not necessarily. So, you do sumac, things like that. They're a little bit unusual, but only 10 unusual things. And one of them is ground cardamom, so everybody's hey, got that. I got that. And L is lazy and E is easier than you think. I like the L. Yeah. (laughs) I like E is easier than you think. Easy, too. And so that's the idea. And then the recipes say whether they're an M or a P or whatever. Tomatoes with sumac,
0: shallots, and pine nuts. See, that all sounds good.
1: Yeah. It is. We yep. we tried one of these at home, and it was delicious. It was really good. So if you're a cook, you should definitely look at this book. Otto simple. Yes.
2: You know something interesting about him when he started his first restaurant, which I believe is in London. If I, yeah, I hope it's I'm all correct. UK, I think. So he's Israeli, and his partner is Palestinian. Mm. It's oh. fascinating their backstory. No when did they
1: move to? And, London. And
2: and the um, the way that they came together to cook. And create these. It's just fascinating. I, hmm. I had a chance to get to know him for a skinny minute once and hear his story. And he's quite a moving and caring individual.
1: Right. That's great. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah.
0: It's fun because there is a, a ribbon included that so when you can mark which uh, always, recipe.
1: Always handy for a cookbook. Yes. To, yeah. One yeah. that you're supposed to use. Yeah, yes. Exactly. And I like those. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. How
0: to Behave Badly in Elizabethan England. Don't you think that's? I knew Gil would
2: love this book. I totally knew it when I was packing it to bring here. So the title is How to Behave Badly in Elizabethan England A Guide for Knaves, Fools, Harlots, Cuckolds, Drunkards, Liars, Thieves, and Braggarts.
0: Knaves is spelled with a K.
2: Yes. By Ruth Goodman now she is an, an academician or an academic and a historian and there's a little bit of an academic flavor to this but it is so fun well you have so, to read
0: it with a, a upper crust english accent yeah
2: right know? well we're going to get to that when i talk about the jeeves book uh, okay which is a lower crust english okay
0: well but, who's writing it jeeves
2: writing it well we'll no, get to that
0: pg woodhouse wasn't we'll it?
2: get there okay <laughs> Um, so in this book, you run into rowdy street gangs scouring taverns, gentlewomen holding insolent eye contact, drunkards wagging dirty fingers at the dinner table. Every age and social strata has its rule breakers and nose thumbers, but Elizabethan England had perhaps more than its fair share. It is how, when you had how to behave properly, except most people didn't. And they got very clever in their ways of insulting each other, whether it was a political discussion or a dinner table discussion or just walking down the street. And, for example, social mores of the era are revealed in fascinating detail, including why it was bad form to quote Shakespeare, why nose-blowing was disgusting, but spitting was acceptable. So it's just kind of a riot of stories of—
0: Well, you you did not want to accept— some gentleman's handkerchief it was offered to you
2: no kidding yeah yeah um i just i think it's there's little line drawings in it i think it's very fun and it's a great book to give to someone who does love their history but wants something that's really kooky and kind of off the you know the normal way that you might read a very staid right. history as book, i mentioned so. off
0: air anyone who loves the black adder series with hmm. uh, rowan Probably. atkinson yeah. This.
1: How does this relate to the Jeeves? Well, yes. when he
2: talked about accents, ah. so that's where I got going because it's the language. So here's a novel, Jeeves and the King of Clubs by Ben Schott, and it is a novel written in homage to P.G. Woodhouse. Okay. And he had the permission of the Woodhouse estate to write this novel. So I started reading this at home. I've not read a lot of P.G. Woodhouse. But for those of you who have, you know the central characters are Bertie Mm Wooster and his manservant, Jeeves. Mm -hmm. So the premise in here is that Bertie, who, of course, is a man of leisure, very well-dressed, of course, who goes to his club, discovers he's been asked to do something. And it turns I, out let's that let's go
0: back a little bit and say that it's set. Is this one set in the Edwardian era? Yes, yes, so. yes.
2: It's completely at at, at the, time the time of, of the originals. rest of the of the originals. Okay. So he's been asked to take care of something at one of his clubs, and it turns out what it is is he's been asked to spy for her Majesty. Mm. And but. It turns out that Jeeves is the smarter of the two. And Jeeves oh, really? is the real drive. <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah, behind yes. all of this. So one thing I wanted to do, and the language is completely Wodehousian, so I thought I'd just read you a short couple sentences. Because as I was reading this, I was rolling on the floor laughing at the language. It's, it's so over the top. You either love it or you don't. But right. A thought struck me the way they do when the filbert is whirling. Monty hailed from one of the finest families. He had an accent fruity enough to spread on a muffin, and his fondness for double-breasted suiting meant he was rarely dressed in anything less than a full acre of tweed.
0: Full acre of tweed. So
2: it's, it's just like that. It's just constantly descriptive in this Edwardian excessively flowery language but with little puns and little tweaks and little pokes all through it and like i said it's a spy novel
0: okay so lots of fun takes a lot of boxes yeah right you've got a big book in your hand. i lap. do
1: have another big book in my hand and though this one is thin and it's for children and it's called rivers i want you to okay. look at that and i'm actually going to read a description a little description here because all right let me describe the thing.
0: the cover there's a man, actually, two men in a rowboat chasing after a um, paper boat, you know, that looks like one of those hats we used mm-hmm. to wear. And the fish are swimming around him, and the bears are staring at us and with surprise, What are you doing here? And trying to catch the fish that are jumping upstream as lizards and uh, moose and. Coyote or well, let, let Among the Rocks? Oh, my what, gosh. What a visual history. Absolutely. This is all
1: about rivers. Because right. it, last year this person did a book called Timeline, which probably oh, brought that. here because yeah. it was so interesting about history. And this mm-hmm. one is about waterways. And it's called Rivers, and it says, The beauty of this book lies not so much in its description of nature, but in the stylistically elaborate carvings of time and space into the geographic linearity of the world's rivers goes, is his last name, blends the true depiction of the shape of each river that he profiles with an almost surreal aura, festooning each river with tributaries of information and branches of illustrations to sum up the cultural, historical, and natural history of his rivers, our rivers. So that's a whole list of all the rivers. I see the rest of the rivers, right. There's a whole bunch of places that I'm not terribly familiar with, and I'm thrilled that they've Included, you know, and I tagged this one as the river in uh, New Zealand that they picked. And it's just...
0: The Waikato.
1: Good, I'm glad you pronounced it. Um, It's it's visually stunning. You know that if you
0: saw The Lord of the Rings. Because there were several things shot
1: along the way, but they out. didn't. They didn't pronounce the names. So no, no, you know, right? they didn't. They said yes.
0: it at the end. Of and
1: the Hobbiton map. is on the um, the map here because it's that kind of book. It's okay. It's histo- history, but it's also current. Style. And
0: it again is illustrated. Well, we've got the the uh, Maori dancers doing the ha. ha yeah. right?
1: And uh, they have right. got little notes on all on of the, it. All around it. the incredibly. I love these kinds of things. Oh, me too.
0: Yes, yeah. it reminds me of books again when back when I was in school and they would have.
1: Right. There was
0: an otter going down the river from. Canada to the United States, and it was very simple. Do you remember I totally that? Totally read that one.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a beautiful. It
0: book. is called simply Rivers.
1: Rivers. Yeah, yeah.
0: Good. It is time to take a break. You are listening to our 2018 holiday gift books edition of Word by Word Conversation with Writers on Northern California Public Media, KRCBFM. In what has become an annual tradition, we are pleased to welcome the book buyers from Copperfield's bookstores, Cheryl Kotler and Michelle Bella, with their challenging task of choosing which books to talk about in under an hour. Obviously, we're going to need two hours today. Yeah. But we will look at more books during the next half hour, so stay tuned for more book ideas right here on Word by Word. Since this is Pledge Week at KRCB, it is a good time to thank you for your tangible financial support. Although word-by-word is achieved and made available around the world as podcasts on NPR, Gilmancer's hour-long Conversations with Writers shows are produced locally in KRCB-FM's Ronard Park Studios. Over the years, your generosity has permitted us to chat about books and writing with Pulitzer Prize and National Book Award winners, MacArthur Grant recipients, and local writers whose primary jobs are as electrical engineers, physicists, police dispatchers, farmers, teachers, restaurant owners, artists, photographers, and students. We've met people who write novels, histories, mysteries, biographies, poems, screenplays, documentary scripts, stage plays, newspapers, serials, short stories, and memoirs. With your help, we'll continue to offer this unique opportunity for enjoyable, informative, and entertaining conversations with writers. You can help out by donating to NorCalPublicMedia.org. Just go online to NorCalPublicMedia.org. Your opportunity exists for you to get some NPR socks to keep your feet warm in the upcoming cold days or one of our locally produced KRCB CDs. And if you've got a smartphone, you can have the free KRCB app. Just touch the heart in the upper right-hand corner of the screen to donate now. That tart is right above my face, advertising word by word. So we'd love to have you do that. We're not asking for a lot. We really am only looking for $100 in total donations. So I'm sure you can be part of that. So back to Bella and Cheryl. Ta-da! You've been thinking all the time I've been talking about what you're going to show next, right? Yes. Let's go since I I know you mentioned you wanted to cover this. So why don't we go to uh, talk with it about another Michelle in Michelle Obama's uh, biography called?
2: Becoming.
0: Becoming.
2: And um, I have to tell you that I was looking back through this book last night, and I had a couple of hours that I had a bunch of things planned to do, and all I did was read this book. It's fascinating. It's it's. I especially find it very interesting. Her young adulthood mm-hmm. into and meeting Barack, and then their early Barry time as a, a married couple. She never called him Barry. His really? family did oh. no. Um, and because they're they're very different, according to her, and very but very much have a kind of a philosophical simpatico. And I loved the way that they would discover what each other cared about, but also discover, as she explains, more and more what she cared about, what she wanted to do in the world. So it's a fascinating story of her life, starts from childhood, but like mm-hmm. I said, I particularly got engaged with the young adult and young married life period of time, into also the White House. And there's a there's a wonderful story where four months after Barack is president he says he wants to take her on a date because you know you just that whole thing ends when you become president but they said no they were going to do this and so they go to new york and eat in a fancy restaurant and go to a play but in fact as president they have to go on marine one they have to the city of new york city blocks off all the streets Um, they try and go into the restaurant and sit in a corner except they've got the whole secret service And when they finally get to the play, they everybody is they have to start the play forty five minutes late because everyone has to be wanded before they can go in and sit in their seats. So afterwards, she starts to think about how badly she feels about all the inconveniences that the public has had to put up with while she and Barack went on their date, Mm -hmm. Um, which is something that it was very touching that she had that thought and reflected on. No entitlement. No, no, no. In fact, um, I've heard this before, but being stuck in the White House and being president and being the family is actually quite containing. There's a lot of things you cannot do. Um, They didn't even want them to go up and down stairs in certain buildings they were in, but but preferred elevators so that nobody would trip for fear that they might... So they of course she and Barack would race up and down the stairs with every chance they got. But well, that
0: was when Gerald Ford was there at that <laughs> Right.
2: <when he> <laughs> but really it's quite moving. It's quite a beautiful, beautiful book. So um now they I met heard... in
0: Chicago, if I'm where really you yes, remember. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes. So I don't want to give too much away, you have to read the book. <laughs> well, he does but win the presidency. He does. Yeah, that's not and too much she's to give on away. a speaking tour now. In fact, right. she's gonna be in San Jose december 14th i don't know the name of the um it's a civic center auditorium i believe oh yeah but um she has been right in downtown then yeah she's been traveling around giving talks and i understand they're extremely moving and wonderful i can't wait i'm gonna be there oh good yes
0: well you you think of us when you're there i will
2: i will take notes yes Mm -hmm. take notes um, you know, what about I, Presidents of War as, well, a, as a follow-up? the other thing I noticed, and I thought I could do maybe short versions of maybe three or four of these together, is I do have four books here that have something to do with wars. But they are vastly different, one from the other, and they're not all dark and dank and horrible. So,
1: Michael, <laughs> thank goodness oh, for okay. that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no,
2: I mean, you're going to understand that in a minute, when uh, what I meant. So, Michael Beschloss... His new book, Presidents of War.
0: He's a historian of the president.
2: Yes, he yes. is actually considered one of the premier, if not the premier, historian of American presidents. Okay. And so I happened to be at the Texas Book Festival in the end of October. And Michael was speaking to a couple of hundred people. But it was real easy to be nearby and mm-hmm. hear. And I love the way he described this book. So what he's done is he's taken, I believe, five presidents who have become war presidents for one reason or another war has happened on their watch and he's done all of this research as to how they behaved with that pressure and power and experience Um, some of them became quite imperial and it's it's kind of scary they've once they thought they had war powers they could ignore everybody else and say it's my way or the highway some of them became quite fearful and isolated. And the one when the question from the audience was what, which president did he think was the one that handled himself best as a war president, he said Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And the reason was because Abraham Lincoln thought of his soldiers all the time. He was very well aware of the cost of fighting. He was very well aware of the death. He felt personally that he was responsible for the loss of life. And there was a very telling story that Michael told about how when Lincoln was imagining where he would want to live after his presidency was over, he said, put me within sight of this particular cemetery, which was where Civil War dead were buried, Mm -hmm. because I must remember these soldiers. Mm. Wow. So the, well, he it was, was only the,
0: 30 miles away in the White House from some of the battles.
2: Yeah, so the empathy that he experienced and the fact that he completely felt responsible right. for his soldiers is the best way to be a president during wartime. Um, when you are a president during wartime and have no care or concern whatsoever, such as, shall we say, the Vietnam War with some of those guys— it went over a couple of presidencies who had no real care or one, understanding. One, two,
0: three, four presidents. Yeah.
2: So yeah. it was a it, it was a wonderful discussion. And I highly recommend it because he's also a very narrative historian. So it's, it's right, really—
0: Right. He's, he's engaging to read. Yes, yes, very
2: much so. And, like, to prove my point, Gil, mm-hmm. another one on war is one called Operation Columba? Columba. Comba. The secret pigeon service and the untold story of World War II resistance in Europe, whereby they gathered a whole lot of pigeon um, – what are they called? Homing pigeon. Homing pigeons. pigeon. Homing uh, aficionados or, or, or folks that kept coops of homing pigeons b- developed a massive effort to use these homing pigeons. These are pigeons, amateurs. Mostly yes, amateurs. Yes. They use these homing pigeons to give information to resistance fighters all through Europe during World War II. Hmm. And uh, they were very successful in transferring information back and forth with these domestic forces of people that had homing pigeons. Mm-hmm. And so it's a war story, but you it's fascinating. put that fascinating. little
0: note inside the little metal thing attached and to And you know the what, leg, right? speaking
2: yeah. of the little metal thing, so there's photographs inside this book showing how they put the little messages oh, in right. their nice. little pigeon holders. There's photographs of these sort of scruffy kind of people that had kept their pigeons for some reason. Not all of them had to be scruffy, but some of them look like, you know,
0: you must be scruffy to be an well, official you know, pigeon holder, yes. Look
2: like these folks that just went up on their rooftops. And, well, uh, I did. They them, yeah. they were and the and yeah. the pigeons
0: were often took over their rest of their life uh, you yeah. know other than work. So yeah. 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 So that's, been scruffy. that's
2: the kind of history that I have a A relative who loves reading uh, war history, but not the blood and guts so much. So this is one of those. The little
0: funny, quirky parts. Yeah, the little
2: interesting things that go on. And along those lines, this one's a little grittier, but Neil Bascom has a book called The Escape Artists. A band of daredevil pilots uh, and the greatest prison break of the Great War. Yeah,
0: there was an argument about whether this was the Great Escape, greater than the Great Escape. Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. So we won't have the argument on air, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But we will talk about how. So this is World War One now. Um, desperate to break out of Helmenden and return to the fight. And this is, by the way, a German prison that the Germans felt was absolutely impenetrable.
0: Impregnable. Pe- it right. could
2: not – you could not get out of this. And our intrepid um, allies were finding ways to break out of earlier prisons. Well, darn, if they don't, uh, these group of allied prisoners led by an ace pilot hatch an elaborate escape plan where they forge documents, fake walls and do um, uh, tunnels underneath, and not only do they break out of the prison, but then they have to hike 150 miles over through Nether- the Netherlands to get back to safety, and they pull it off.
0: Was the Netherlands a mm-hmm. battle um, field? Let's see. I don't remember. Um, hike through the Netherlands. Yeah, through the
2: 150 yeah. mile dash through enemy occupied territory. Right, okay. That's what it is, yes. towards the Free Holland. So right. no, they have okay. to get to the Netherlands, Gotcha, Holland. gotcha. Um, anyway so and one of those war stories that is adventure driven and oh, where you're okay. what? oh if my you, god
0: if you were bored by the pigeons this one will be <laughs>
2: yeah, right exactly and then the last one that is war related is a novel called the winter soldier by daniel mason and uh this is that kind of novel it is incredibly beautifully written it's a love story and i was nearly in tears by the time i finished it our young character, he's 22, he's really just a medical student, mm-hmm. uh, decides to do the brave thing. He lives in Vienna, and he volunteers to be a doctor. He thinks he's going to go Where to a field Where are we, site. time-wise? In World War One. I hope. Yes, World War I. I World War II. And, uh, no, World War One.
0: Austro-Hungarian. Yeah. Yes, so that's World War One.
2: And so he ends up being sent to a quote-unquote field hospital that's really a bombed-out old church in the— Carpathian Mountains, which is freezing cold and there's absolutely no supplies. And the only person there when he shows up that even knows anything at all that takes him under her wing is a nun who is a nurse. And their patients are extremely, um, you know, war wounded and so forth. So it's a trial by fire. It's beautifully told. And it's a love story. Mm -hmm. And i and it would have been paid by Aubrey Hepburn if it was made back mm-hmm. then. Maybe, 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 yeah. Doesn't yeah. that sound right, Curt? Yeah. yeah, yeah, just with a— Okay,
0: with, so let's do all the, the war ones again. We have The Winter Soldier by Daniel Mason. Oh
2: Yes, we which is a novel.
0: A novel. We have a The Presidents of War, which is a biography, I guess I would call it, right? Well, he's
2: history. calling it a history, history because he's actually exploring how— these presidents behave during wartime. And then the effects of their behavior as well? Pardon?
0: Does he carry it forward after they're out of the White House? Um, In other words, the things they put in place like Johnson, for instance.
2: No, no. It's, well, you know where he does go with Johnson, by the way, speaking of that? It's interesting. He how much um, mental illness and depression Johnson suffered yes. after he left the yes. White House so yes he does do a little after
0: one of the best or worst kept secrets yeah, yeah.
2: that um, his experience with the Vietnam War was such that it damaged him in that way depressed him it, right. and um, well in
0: a sense you're glad that yeah. that was, that he yeah yeah was that human yes mm-hmm. yes yes. I because agree because he was vilified at the time
2: right yeah right and then the other one was at The Escape Artist by Neil Bascom, uh-huh. and Operation Columba by Gordon Carrera, and I'm not sure I had said the author the first time.
0: No, I don't think so, but yeah. Columba, is that the name of a pigeon, or where? That is the them? name of the operation. That is the name of the operation. Yeah,
2: yeah, it was called, I don't know why, a part of a spy operation, code name Columba.
0: Mm. Okay, I can't think that has anything to do with pigeons, but okay, Yeah. we'll go with that.
1: Yeah. Okay, you have you have Sarah Berman's closet ready oh, here to talk this, about. Yes, I think this is my last um, grown-up gift book that I brought. Okay. And are you familiar with with Sarah uh, Berman's closet as an art installation?
0: Um, I saw it a brief, brief thing in Time or something like that. Right. Yes, it, in a couple yes. years
1: ago, that it was actually at the MoMA. Right, and this is the story about. It's a book about Sarah and who is the mother of Myra Kalman. Who is an incredible artist? I am a complete fan of Myra Kalman all the time, and it's her story of leaving uh, the Ukraine in you know, Belarus mm-hmm. as a family. They all left and went to um, Palestine, hmm. and talked uh, talks well, about that's their life there. Journey, isn't it? Yes, and you know, I, I think in a way a very common journey for a lot of people left Belarus and the Ukraine around that time, and. Eventually she gets married and has two oh, kids. Oh, this was
0: British Palestine.
1: Um,
0: before the separation, before Israel then.
1: I'm not yes. It would because have been that before. Would have been the homeland it would have been then. before. Yes, yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That's why I was and, a little
0: you, you know, I'm in modern day Palestine. So, right,
1: right, right. Gotcha. Um, anyway, she has two kids, one of them is Myra Coleman, who is an artist here mm-hmm. and um, she eventually she gets she breaks up with her husband after thirty eight years or something like that and moves to New York. And at some point, um, she s- decides to simplify her life, and, and really when she got older, and only wear white. And then they <laughs> went through, and she re- literally just said, I'm only going to wear white from now on. That's a picture of her. And this is a very heavily illustrated uh, light text type of book. Hand drawn
0: illustrations and s- photographs. S- yes. Yes.
1: And it actually illustrates how many bras she had and how many she would iron her underwear, how many pairs of shoes. White and shoes. White basically she only but they're wore They're not white. nurses' shoes. They're no no. They're she's stylish. This woman is yes. stylish. But um it's a way of simplifying her life and understanding the world. It said, the closet was an expression of something that went back to her life in the village of Lenin, a way to create order out of chaos, a way to create a life of beauty and meaning, and that is not a small achievement. So after her death, her her daughter or her kids took all her stuff and put it in storage, and then eventually they, her grandson opened it up at this teeny tiny little Uh, like storage space in new york as a gallery basically and then from there it caught on and went to the moma and now it's a traveling exhibit Mm. it's such an interesting slice of life story you know to as people the decisions that we make as we get older and how the world comes together and and begins to make sense i just i'm in love with it i think it's really special Good. Yeah.
0: it's called sarah berman's closet Kalman and um, no, Myra, Coleman Myra and and Kalman, Kalman, Alex Kalman and Alex Kalman. Kalman. Yeah. Okay, good, worth looking at. Yes. The Flame. Oh, we've got to spend time with this.
2: Yeah. One. So um, this book is titled The Flame, and then it says poems, notebooks, lyrics, and drawings, by Leonard Cohen. And the way the story goes is that uh, a good friend of Leonard Cohen's asked him. He was elderly and ill, and They had the discussion around, you know, you've had a good life. Is there anything that you still want to do? Or how do you feel about the length of your life and what you have done? And Leonard Cohen said, I have one more book I wish to do of my collections of scribblings and lyrics and poems and drawings. And he was determined that he had this one more book. And sure enough, he put this book together before he passed away. It appears... To be mostly kind of poetry with line drawing, lyrics. 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 They're yes. all in um, rhyme. Well, these poems are lyrics. Yeah, yeah, and with lots of little nice. wonderful line and scribbly drawings, but beautifully done. Uh, so you can pick it up and meander with it. Any My recollection
0: place. is that he used to scribble on almost anything, backs of envelopes being very yeah. popular.
2: Yeah, yeah. Pockets full of things like Pockets that. Pockets full. So uh, because this was a short ish lyric poem i thought i'd read it my guitar stood up today my guitar stood up today and leaped into my arms to play a spanish tune for dancers proud to stamp their feet and cry aloud against the fate that bends us down beneath the thorny bloody crown of sickness age and paranoid delusions i for one cannot avoid (laughs) Mm. so this has been very popular you gotta
0: read it more slowly next time oh Because he never quit. He never, never. did his in a hurry.
2: Well, I must say, I'm... You can hear him, can't you? Yes. As you say it? as Kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yes. So this is a Just treasure. tragic person. A real treasure, a book to hold and hang on to. Um, and then I think that many of us remember Susan Orlean because she is the kind of, oh, you could say historian or biographer of a thing she was she became really well known for her book the orchid thief right which then developed into a whole history of orchids and how you got them and snuck them out of the amazon and so forth
0: well that's see that's the way you were talking earlier about Moby Dick right and essentially that is that you know every other chapter you as you well know right. is a uh, in informational the second chapter is informational about some aspect of whaling or living in, on the mm-hmm. ocean or being a sailor or something like that and that and when I read The Orchid Thief I thought of similarities between the two books
1: yeah
2: yeah <laughs> I also thought of Werner Herzog when I was reading oh that. that's a good comparison too. you know yeah. that kind of <gasps> Fitzcarraldo <laughs> thing <laughs> in the Amazon oh my you know God, let's take that
0: boat up this mountain yeah <laughs>
2: right <laughs> So something that a lot of people may not know. So this book is called The Library Book. In, um, let's see, oh my gosh, the year matters. Uh, April 28, 1986, the Los Angeles County Library caught fire. Mm -hmm. And the reason that a lot of people don't know about it was within a day or so, Chernobyl happened. And that took over the news. Well, Susan Orlean gets... Aware becomes aware of this library fire because at the time it burned over four hundred thousand volumes and was in, the library was on fire for seven hours and took actually injured a number of fire fires mm-hmm. and so forth. It was a huge big it was deal compared
0: to the burning of the library in Alexandria. Ancient Alexandria. Yes, yes.
2: Really? so the first half of the book is more or less about that fire, and then the second half moves into that library, what it was. Um, Start. It was opened in 1873, mm-hmm. and uh, there's this wonderful story that they hired this guy, Charles Fletcher Lumens. He sounds kind of like a piece of work. In 19- 1885, they had a woman librarian, chief librarian, but no, 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 they couldn't have a woman, so they brought this guy in. and uh, But he did have a couple of crazy ideas because he wanted to revitalize, in 1885, the library. So one of his ideas was... He had the library create warning labels to paste into the books. His original plan was to include text that read, "This book is of the worst class that we can possibly keep in this library. We are sorry that you have not any better sense than to read it." He was ultimately persuaded to tone it down.
0: Well, doesn't that make you want to read the book? Yes, of yes. course, of
2: course. So he had he did promote the library and, yes. and try and invite the public in, and it goes from those years up to present day, and what the LA County Library oh. does. It's really quite charming and wonderful and full of different little stories.
0: My uh, dad claims that he reads well and read so well because he was taught by the chief librarian at the Los Angeles Library. Wow. And that would have been 1920, early 20s.
2: That he was taught to read there?
0: Well, he was taught to really read. Ah, it's hmm. a different than being taught to read in school. You know? I see. You read hmm. the books they give you and nothing else. Yes. He was taught to enjoy reading.
2: Yes. Well, this is a book about enjoying reading. Right. And about enjoying asking librarians questions.
0: Well he loved to do that. Yes. Yes.
2: And they have a lot of very funny stuff. Go stories in with about... a list of questions and right.
0: go to her because she knew. Right, right. Of course it's... she was busy, but she was the chief librarian. And right. they were moving at that time. So Yeah. Yeah.
2: They had um, they, there's wonderful questions I could just pick and choose and be here for another hour. They're very funny and charming.
0: Oh, she goes over some of the questions. Yes, yes. Cool. That's cool.
1: And the That's librarians' great. responses.
0: Yeah. Fun.
1: I'll read that one. I have two kid novels that I would love to talk about. I did not bring them with me, but they are. That's just to save weight. There are many, many uh, (laughs) excellent novels that are new out this year for all different ages. But the one I like the most for ages, say, 13 and up Mm -hmm. is a book called Dry by... D-R-Y. D-R-Y by Neil Shusterman and Jared Shusterman. And it's set in Southern California. In a you know part of in a neighborhood in Los Angeles, uh, and one day, basically the water just gets shut off. the um, The Colorado River. They just decide that's it. It's it's shut off. There's Which no really happened. There's no yeah, warning. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't come back on right away oh. either. So. What happens to the neighborhood and what happens to the neighbors and what happens to a family when there's all of a sudden no water and do they realize when they realize oh we, we better go to Costco to buy water and you know it every adventure you can have. So it's around sort of that.
0: a alternative universe kind of thing. It's
1: it's kind of like apocalyptic, but it isn't right. quite because it's not like the whole world is dying. It's there just was a Southern novel California. set in
0: Southern California where the oceans rose or five years ago remember mm-hmm.
1: it could be yes. that kind of thing this yeah. one is quite an adventure and mm. really is it, it, trying to get water trying to get to stay alive just stay trying alive. to stay alive yeah. and it's 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 kind of wonderful in its scariness you know how kids really like zombies now they've got water zombies right now it's, it's it's really quite a, you know kids will definitely enjoy reading it Um the, did you enjoy it oh yeah you're because you're, you're,
0: you're you animated read it in here.
1: about you know an hour and a half <laughs> okay Um the other one is for a younger group, I, one I really like, and I when I first heard about this, I didn't, I thought it was just too ridiculous to go with, and then I read it, and I was blown away. It's called the Dactyl Hill Squad.
0: Spell that for me. Uh,
1: D-A-C-T-Y-L. Dactyl. Dactyl, as in pterodactyl. Pterodactyl, yes. yes, okay. So this is an alternate America, set during the Civil War in New York City, and there's dinosaurs. The dinosaurs have evolved, and there's some little pet dinosaurs, and there's there are work animals that are dinosaurs, and these, and it, it's very fanciful from that. And just right there, that was like, oh, come on, you know, how could this possibly— Why New York? How can I can see that seriously? in Los Angeles where it's, it's warmer. But. It's New York because—well, it's the whole world has dinosaurs. Okay. It's not just New York. But um, it's during the Civil War, and it's got—a a big part of it is the racial divide that's going on, and our main characters— are in a a home for colored what is it? colored children's asylum is what they call it for, for like orphans of mm-hmm. the war kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so it's very overt about what's what's going on. And there's vigilantes that are causing trying to cause trouble. And the kids have make an escape over to, I believe, Brooklyn, where they find a haven and all these other people and then they learn how to ride dinosaurs and the flying dinosaurs and one of our main characters flying, flying well yeah what, the pterodactyls or whatever they are those flying ones ah. and they um, who aren't really very tame the but there's a dragon whole, riders whole part of this. it's really fun but this one girl right. is has the ability to basically th- communicate with the dinosaurs in a magical way that other people don't have. shes It's a rumor and a, a myth that people can actually communicate mentally with dinosaurs, and she discovers she can do it. And she's only 8 or 9 years old, so Night. she's, like, learning this as she grows up and realizes it in this situation. It's fascinating, and there's millions of different things you think about later for weeks and weeks. I really highly recommend it.
0: Okay, I'm going to have to stop you there because we're okay. running out of time, aren't we? No. Yes, we are. Uh, okay, so, ho, 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 I'm your Santa Claus of a host, Gil Mansur, once again, who with my Wizard of a Studio Engineer, Anthony Garcia, and KRCP-FM Program Director, Sean Knight, Radio Elf, Wendy Nicholson, podcast archivist, Mark Prell, and theme music composer, Bill Conti, want to wish you the most joyous of holiday cheer. We are glad you have shared the last hour with Copperfield's bookstores, book buyers, Cheryl Kotler and Michelle Bella, on the 2018 Holiday Gift Books edition of Word-by-Word Word Conversations with writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Our next Word-by-Word Word show will be broadcast from 4 to 5 the afternoon of Sunday, January 13th, 2019, when our conversation will be with the venerable press, Democrat newspaper columnist, and local historian Gayla Baron talking about her newly released book, Wonder Seekers of Fountain Grove, all about the 19th century utopia created in Santa Rosa by... Thomas Lake Harris and then continued on by the samurai born Kanye Nagasawa I do want to make sure that I give you the opportunity to mention how you can contact information about the books that we've just talked about from Copperfields by going online to
1: copperfieldsbooks.com
0: copperfieldsbooks.com thank you so much
1: we will have the entire thank you. list on there good
0: yes. very good